Everything you need is already inside of you. The world would not be what it is without you. When we begin to create change within us, we begin to create change in the world around us. Your journey to becoming your best self as the whole person starts right now. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Rise Up For You podcast. I'm your host, Netta. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm incredibly excited because today our expert is going to be speaking with us about leadership and how to bridge that with mindfulness and connected leadership. Um, We're going to be talking about the five relationships that a leader should have, the benefits of working with feelings, and really how to create transformation. And um, many of you know, and if, if you don't, you will now, that Rise Up For You just created a whole division in regards to corporate trainings and workshops and really bringing in well-being and becoming your best self as a company and building a thriving culture. So this episode today really speaks to the work that we're doing that really is directly related to individuals as well, which is the crux of Rise Up For You, becoming your best self. So again, today we're going to really talk about connected leadership and what that looks like and the importance of having social and emotional intelligence so that you can connect with your team, you can connect with your staff, and really create a culture and a positive climate where everybody can be productive, effective, and thrive. Rise up for you and enjoy this episode with Daphne Scott. Daphne, thank you so much for joining us here on the Rise Up For You podcast. It is such an honor to have you on our show today. Oh my gosh, thanks for having me. I feel very um, excited about our conversation. Likewise. (laughs) We always like to start off the show by letting the audience get to know our guests. So I would love for you, in your own words, to tell us about all the great work that you're doing and what you're up to today. Oh, well, thanks so much for asking. Uh, You know, one of the things I'm most excited about right now is I um, am developing really the capacities for organizations, their teams, to have a a very direct path of leadership development. And um, I have my 10 week uh, leadership development course that I just you know really finished at the end of last year. And that's going very well. So I'm really excited about that. And I spend a lot of time working with leaders and their teams really do a lot of team coaching um, on their mindfulness practices. And I know what we're going to talk about today a little bit with this idea of trans transformational transactional leadership. So I'm very excited to be doing that. Uh, work in organizations and then teaching mindfulness. I actually teach those practices actually everywhere. So (laughs) in the community and um, in which I live and then uh, in organizations too. So I'm really excited to be able to do all those things and support people. So tell, um, tell us a little bit about how you got into this journey because we always like to learn about the path of someone and you know, why leadership? Was there something that sparked, you know, this passion for mindfulness and being a a connected leader or was it just a natural path for you? Yeah, great question. Um, No, it wasn't. I got into my first, uh, I got in my first leadership role like many do. Um, I was really good at the job that I was initially hired for, uh, which at the time was being a physical therapist. And it was, it was sort of, it was sort of as if someone watched me walk and they said, wow, you're really good at walking. You should drive a car. <laughs> so that was actually how I got into my first uh, leadership role. And, you know, the truth was I didn't really know what I was doing. And I really struggled, as many leaders can. And so I, I started, I did what any, you know, good sort of, uh, I guess, inquisitive person would do. I started reading a lot and trying to understand more of the skills that leaders could use. First of all, I needed to understand if there were skills that leaders could learn that would make me more effective. So I did that. And then at the same time, I was struggling with my own, um, sort of my own 
uh, anxiety, if you will. I was in my, I was in my thirties, just a little bit younger than I am now. Um, just joking. And, um, <laughs> I was, uh, struggling with anxiety and I, I, I was in healthcare at the time. So I knew enough, you know, to be very careful about, you know, medicating myself, although that can be helpful at times too, but I just was trying to look for some other paths. And, and that was when I came across this idea of, of meditating. They didn't even, you know, they, they weren't even really using the word mindfulness that much then, which is kind of interesting. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I, I took a meditation class and it really helped. And that was really how these sort of two things started to sort of blend together in a way and, and where I kind of landed on a little bit of sort of like, yeah, there's this mindset part of it as well as there are these skills, you know, there, there are learnable skills that leaders can have to make them effective. So that was really how it all came together. That's my long story short, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I mean, I was telling you a little bit off air that, you know, this, the concept of leadership and just the emphasis in general is also a huge passion of mine. And it's so important. And unfortunately, across the world, there's so many people that are in leadership positions that are leaders that um, they're not connected, they're not typed, uh, tapped into the mindfulness. And it could really be detrimental to the organization, to anybody that's working with them. Um, so it's a very important topic and it's a very important skill as well. Um, I yeah. know one of the things that you really speak to is like the five relationships that every leader needs to have and really just how to be a transformational leader. I, I would love to jump into this, especially now more than ever, where the anxiety and depression rate is higher yeah. now than it's ever been. I mean, you have a ton of employees that are constantly filing for stress leave. I mean, we're just, yes. we're in a whole new ball game. And I think that this, this is really important to discuss and really break open. Yeah. I'm really glad you brought that up actually about, you know, what we're struggling with, with, um, depression. It's funny. I was, well, it's not funny. It's interesting. Ironic. That's what I was looking for. (laughs) It's ironic that, um, you know, we look at the suicide rate as the highest it's ever been. Um, and either there are more people that died last year, there were 800,000 people that committed suicide and yeah, I mean, that's crazy, right? I mean, that's just crazy. And uh, more people are dying from that than violent crime or wars. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know. So um, to your point, I think it's it really is us looking at, you know, what are we doing here? And, and I'll talk about the five relationships as it, as it pertains to that. But um, yeah, it's a really it's a really important thing for us to pay attention to now. And, and I am glad, you know, thank goodness there are shows like yours that are bringing this into the conversation that we can start to really look at what's driving all of this, what is happening in our minds, you know, with our minds and what's happening with our bodies and, um, how can we be in a, in better relationships across the board? And, and that's what the, that's where the five relationships come in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so to get to those, uh, since, you know, I know we want to talk about that in the show today, the, you know, the five relationships, I call them, you know, uh, the five relationships of success, um, in leaders. And it really was born. This really was, um, born out of listening to some things that people consistently complain about. Mm. Um, and yeah, leadership. So one of them is time. So really looking at the relationship that we have to time. And by the way, when I talk to people about this, a lot of times I think I'm going to talk about like, you know, one of the relationships you need to have is with your accountant. Yeah. With people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, people, <right>. <laughs> <laughs> Which is important. I'm not saying that's important, but yeah, it's for like people, but it's one of these sort of constructs, if you will. So, um, how you relate to time and I'm sure, you know, what's the number one complaint that people have about time? their main relationship to time is that they don't have enough. enough. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Enough. Right. So, um, that they don't have enough. And so, um, so time and then secondly, money, 
um, what's the relationship look like to money? And I loved what you were saying about, you know, if we don't have leaders who are really mindful, we get in all kinds of uh, trouble, you know? So depending on leaders are in organizations and they have a certain, they have access to certain decision rights that, um, an individual contributor doesn't. Right. One of those, right. One of those is who gets hired, who gets fired, who gets on the bus, who gets off. Um, and, and two of the other ones are how the organization uses one of its resources, which is money and the other is time, what projects we take on, what projects we don't. And so, uh, these, those two relationships in particular really matter, <laughs> um, for sure. So how we relate to time, how we relate to money, typically money, people are relating to it from, they don't have enough or once they get enough or they get some, then they relate to it from a place of losing it all. Right, <laughs> so right. we're right back in the same boat. And then the third relationship is the relationship to, to the self, um, how we relate to our identity. What's the meaning that we make up about things in our life and, and how do we relate to that? How do we relate to the goals and, and in, a, in a culture that really is promoting ambition, right? Um, how do we relate to the self? And then fourth is friendships, which surprises people, by the way, um, that that's in my, in my five buckets, but how people mm. uh, are in my uh, five relationships here. So how uh, leaders and managers relating to the idea of friendship, a lot of times um, these relationships, these friends, quote, friendships and quote, become, uh, you know, the next vendor, the next client dinner. Um, and it, that idea of like, it's lonely at the top, right? right, um, right. Sort of thing. And then the last one is how um, leaders and managers relate to the unknown, um, and the relationship to that, I like to just say to everybody, you know, relax, relax. Nothing is under control. <laughs> so right. Just, right. right. And so that's, you know, being sort of the, the five that I, I will talk about with leaders. And so we can dive into any of those, however you like. Well, I, you know, the one that really resonates with me because I think it's so, so important is the third one, which is the self, because yeah. so much of yeah. being a great leader is really having a strong sense of emotional and social intelligence. And yeah. I know so many people talk about, oh, emotional intelligence and social intelligence. But the reality is, is that there's a lot of talk about it, but not enough practice with it. You know, yeah. you know, so, so. true. <laughs> so true. And you know, well, keep going. Yeah, you, you really got my energy up now. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, it's really just that, you know, social and emotional intelligence are really the crux of being a leader, you know, relationship management, learning how to empower, how to motivate, having an understanding of yourself, being able to manage yourself, you know, having empathy towards others and, I mean, that, that's really the crux of it all. And we find that there's a ton of incredible leaders that they might have the skill or the technique for whatever industry they're in, but it's a whole new ball game when you're leading a team of people. Absolutely. And here's the thing, and you're exactly right. You know, there's a lot of talk about it. Um, and I think, but, but not enough, you know, the application, right? right. Um, how do we apply this? How do we, how do we source empathy, <laughs> Okay. Right. And now, now the crazy thing is we're naturally wired to be empathetic for mm-hmm. most of us. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to work on it too far or too much. All you have to pay attention to is how you keep yourself from accessing it. In other words, the task list has become more important than, you know, how people are feeling about things, for example. Right. Um, and we need both. But I loved what you said about that. Like, how do we, you know, really getting into the, uh, the application part of this? And what got my energy going was, you know, we have, there are a lot of myths about this emotional intelligence thing. One of them is that, and some of the research on this has been very well borne out now, um, that we can read other people's emotions, that we know what people are feeling. And I think we've really done ourselves a disservice. Um, much of the research that was done that where they tried to, you know, like that I can look at your facial expression and know exactly what you're feeling. Um, 
really bad idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so if we boil that back down to working with ourselves, I think the emotional intelligence is really a good idea, you know, um, and how we're relating to our own inner lives. And to your point of how we're relating to the self, how do I work with my own feelings so that I can have access to wise decisions, you know, so that I'm not, if I have an experience of anger, that I'm not becoming identified with the anger Mm. that I'm not, you know, either pretending that I don't have any, (laughs) which is what a lot of us have been taught, you know, just suppress it, pretend it's not there or become, become identified with it in a way that I become reactive to it. Right. And now I'm, I'm just in in reaction to that and not able to respond. So I think the way working with our, having that um, emotional intelligence within ourselves to be able to relate to ourselves in a way that's really um, from a place of our own self-empathy, self-compassion and working with that, that is what allows us to really connect with other people. You know, that's what, that's what allows me to look at you and go, Hey, is, is something bothering you? (laughs) <laughs> you know, that's the, that's the gift, I think. Um, and that's the real skill. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And, um, and really breaking the projection, which we often do as people, yes. we project, project these feelings or these triggers that, that we may have that, like, as you mentioned, the person might not have any clue what you're talking about or thinking the complete opposite. Yes, exactly. And that's exactly it. And so if we can become more skillful and and also to your point, you know, which I think is is so well taken is that, you know, we can be, we can learn to do this. I mean, and I think that's the part that um, I really watch in leadership. We wonder why there there are all these challenges in leadership. And we make this just really weird assumption that people should just know how to lead a group of people. Mm. And that has just not been my experience. I mean, sometimes (laughs) you have the chops, you know, have some skill, but that just hasn't been true in my experience. And when we watch leaders and organizations, that's what we see over and over again. Right. They just have not been given nor taught or equipped with the skills, just like they've been equipped with the skills to do their original job, right? Right. Um, they haven't been equipped with the skills to really lead effectively and to do these things and to, and to learn how to work with emotions within themselves and then with others. Right. You know? And we can learn it. That's the good news. We Absolutely. Can and I think this segues a little bit into one of your points, which is you know, the benefits of being able to lead with feelings and and having feelings. And I think that one of the misconceptions that we have in the corporate world or in the workforce is that we need to be non-emotional and we need to take that out. But the reality is, is that unless you're going to have a workforce of robots, which we don't have, (laughs) you are working with feelings and there needs to be an emotional connectivity that's happening, you know, within your team and within yourself. Absolutely. I mean, it just, it's sort of, and, and I'm, you know, I'm hoping that, you know, with your show, people who are willing to talk about this, that we're, we're going to leave some of that old, old paradigm in a sense that, you know, we are, we are a, a, a complete circuit. We're, you know, we're a whole thing. We're a body and a mind. Mm-hmm. And um, our, our decisions are driven by emotion. You know, mm-hmm. how we, and this is again, coming back to the self, how we quote feel about things. And what I mean about that is that's the meaning part of it. You know, the meaning that we give to things, um, it does drive our decision making. There's just no way around that. Uh, the best, you know, the best metaphor that I've ever heard um, for that is comes from Jonathan Haidt. He, uh, he wrote about it in the, book, in the book, The Happiness Hypothesis, and then they used the metaphor again in the book, um, Switch, where they talk about organizational change. But they, he talks about the elephant and the writer. And the elephant is our emotional life and the writer is our rational brain. Mm. <laughs> the guy riding on top of the elephant, right? Yeah. So the biggest part of our life is the elephant. And 
And he essentially, you know, I'm very much paraphrasing the whole metaphor, but he, you know, paring it down in a sense, but essentially he's like, you have to get those two things to go together. Right. And the elephant is our emotional life. I mean, it's going to take you where it wants to take you, right? So and I think that's really the practice where mindfulness fits in of, of being present to what's happening and, and paying attention to that, learning how to work with it so that we don't, you know, run off. The elephant doesn't drag us away, you know, and when we're trying to rely just on our rational brain, that's impossible. Yeah, absolutely. And so I know you've done a lot of great work and you have a ton of experience working with a number of companies and corporations and individuals. I, how do you, because I see this quite often, how do you convince you know, leaders that come from the opposite school of thought, which is it's not about emotion. It's about coming in, getting the job done. You're, you have a job, you're getting paid. How do you, how do you teach them to really embrace this idea of connected emotional leadership? Yeah, real simply, um, go to the data. (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) They like the data. I like the data. Yeah. And I'm fine. I mean, I'm a pretty practical person, um, in, you know, in a sense that, you know, go with what works, right? So if the data now is telling you, and we have plenty of it, actually, um, if the data is telling you that, Hey, look, if you connect in this way, if you are able to do X, Y, and Z, you're going to have a company that's going to be reproducible and sustainable for a long time. Assuming that's what you want, <laughs> you know, right. um, if, if, assuming that that's what you want. The, the second thing that I like to talk to them about is, you know, what do you want if, if you're, if you're, and this is going to be kind of, kind of sound kind of funny, but you know, if your measuring stick is only the bottom line results of your business, absolutely don't do any of that work. Don't, don't bring in anything transformational for sure. Um, don't train your leaders because the truth is you can actually have a pretty toxic culture and be pretty monetarily successful. Right. Um, and I think people get confused by this, <laughs> you know, they're sort of like, Oh, you're right. You know, and we see it all the time. Now what will happen eventually though, it will erode and it's only a matter of time. It's not going to be, if it happens, it's going to be when it happens. Right. So, um, when I talk to leaders who are, are sort of scared of this or, or, which is mostly my experience, they're sort of not clear about it, or they're, they're, you know, kind of toying with the idea of, you know, what is it to bring in mindfulness practices and talk about empathy and work with feelings and all these things. Um, you know, I really just try to bring it back to, you know, what are you really up to here in the organization? Do you want, do you want a thriving culture? where people will do their work easily and and they can have a better sense of well-being. And here's what we know about when people have a really great sense of well-being. Here's what it looks like. Here's what's possible. Um, And so they have to really be willing to expand their yardstick and how they're measuring the success of their business Mm, in some way. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. So that's, that's how I talk to people about it when they're considering like, what do I want this to look like in my culture? What do I want this to look like in my organization? And, you know, they absolutely don't have to do it. I I prefer it. You know, right. My, right. You would, you probably do too, but you know, you absolutely don't have to do it that way, but if you want long-term results, you probably should consider it. So. Well, yeah. well, it's all connected. You know, um, Rise Up for You initially started as a company that um, promoted personal professional growth amongst individuals. And then right, we right. quickly realized that a lot of that has to do with also the career force, right? You know, because a lot of times our depression or things that we are struggling with come from career because unfortunately we have more of an 85, 15% lifestyle, right? 85% of our time is spent dealing with career. Um, And so we launched a whole corporate division, which really does the same thing, you know, leadership training and getting in and doing authentic connected work and workshops that can help support the individual as well, because it is all completely connected. But 
you know, the research and there's a lot of it and, um, you know, 70, why, what is it like 67% of Americans workforce is not engaged in their, their day-to-day work. You know, only 30% are really engaged in what they're doing and the rest are on autopilot or completely disengaged. And a good portion of that is because of the managerial level or the people that are leading them. You know, that's part of the reason why they're not interested in the job. Not that they don't like the work itself, but they don't like the culture that has been created. Yep, exactly. And you're, I love, you know, exactly what you're pointing to here is, and we spend a good majority of our life working, you know, and I, and I don't, and here's the thing I think that's really important to recognize. I don't know most people who wake up and leaders included in this, at least leaders I work with who wake up on Monday morning and go, you know what? I cannot wait to get to the office and have a horrible time. Right. I, I can't wait to not get anything done and be an interlock with the people that I work with all day. You know, no one's saying that. And yet, and yet we have to be curious about, well, then why does it seem like that's what's happening most of the time? Right. You know, what's going on here? And I think there's a lot of it that leaders have not been really equipped very well with the skills that they need and aren't shown a path of, you know, here's, here are the things that can be really helpful. And it's like anything else. It's like any other skill that we've had to learn in our life. Uh, it takes practice. You know, it takes commitment, it takes time, uh, a little bit of energy, a little bit of effort, and, and also really seeing the benefit, you know, of what's possible. So, Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's conversations like this that are super important that can really help foster that. So, yes, I agree. I agree. The more I, I think bringing these things into conversation is just absolutely mandatory. And for people listening to your show, I know they feel the same too. And then, you know, kind of getting down to the, down to the root. And that's what you're doing at rise up uh, for you is helping people get those capacities, you know, get those skills. Here's where you can go to find it. And, and here's how you can work on it. So it's invaluable. Absolutely. Thank you, Daphne. It's really been an honor to have you on the show. I would love to jump into the power section of the interview and start by asking you, you know, what's one book that you've read that's had a massive impact on you that that you want to share with us today? Yeah, I'm going to share this book, um, Getting Things Done by David Allen. Um, He... He's he's sort of he lives in the productivity sort of time management bucket, but I want to tell you he, everything that he writes about. Once you really get into the roots of it, has such a big component to how we relate to the idea of time. Mm. And so that book, and he he you know he, and very practical, very tr- you know practical skills that you can learn to manage that task list better and get a handle on how you keep things out of your head and, and manage those lists. So it's very, very applicable and practical. And yet at the same time, there's just this big underlying tone to it that really has a lot to do with how we're related to time and the stuff of our lives. So that book uh, changed my life a long time ago. Yeah. And Daphne, what's one quote that you live by? Uh, what? One? <laughs> I know. We have a whole book. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. Um, this is an Aristotle quote. It's how, how you do anything is how you do everything. Mm. Yeah. And if you could leave the world with one final message, we like to call it our golden nugget here. What would that be for yeah. you? Um, move quick, but don't be in a hurry. Ooh, I like that one. I like that. Oh, yeah, that's actually, I haven't that's had actually... that one before. I like that. <laughs> yeah, move quick, but don't be in a hurry. Yeah. Wonderful. And Daphne, how do we stay connected to you? How do we learn more about you? I know you have a great leadership course um, on your website. Definitely everyone should check that out. Tell us a little bit more how we can uh, support you and connect with you. Yeah, you can go to three W's Daphne scott.com forward slash rise up. And I have a free uh, feedback toolkit that people can get if they go there and there's information on my uh, course as well. Beautiful. I love that right there. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. Daphne, again, thank you so much for joining us today. As you know, we're the Rise Up For You podcast. 
What does that mean when you hear that phrase, rise up for you? Oh, you know, when I heard that, when I read the title, I had two meanings, actually. Um, one what, that came to me, one was rise up for yourself, like rise up, do this for you. Mm-hmm. And then the other part was, it, it was sort of a twist in my mind about we're here to support you rising up. Like mm-hmm. we are going to rise up for you. So I actually found that, that, that name very clever, just so you know. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> I liked it. Thank it, you. it worked on two planes for me. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. Well, it's been an honor to speak with you today. Thank you again so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on the Rise Up For You podcast series. We're here to serve you and inspire you to become your best self so that you can live a life that you are proud of. If you haven't already, head over to our website, riseupforyou.com and explore through all that we have to offer. Don't forget to subscribe while you're there for exclusive materials sent to you weekly and also subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and any other major podcast channel. Join us for our next episode, but until we meet again, rise up for you, be better today than yesterday, and prepare for a greater you tomorrow. Tomorrow.